The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this Thursday morning. The ECB launches a 750 billion euro pandemic fund. As President Christine Lagarde says, extraordinary times call for extraordinary action. While the Bank of Japan also in the game launching a 1 trillion yen JGB purchase plan. But the extra QE fails to lift sentiment. Asian stocks fall while US futures fail to hold on to brief gains after the Dow breaks through 20,000 in another down day for Wall Street. Quote, hell is coming. That is the stark warning from famous hedge fund investor Bill Ackman as he urges the US government to shut down in an interview with CNBC. A 20% decline puts oil prices on track for their worst week in history, but WTI bounces back after hitting the lowest level since 2002. And here in central London, lockdown imminent. Boris Johnson, uh, the Prime Minister, closing schools across the country from Friday and urging all UK citizens to take precautions as the UK death toll tops 100 people. We live in a, a land of uh, liberty, as you know, and um, I think it's one of the great features of, of our lives that we don't tend to impose those sorts of restrictions on, uh, on people in this, on, on, in this country. But I have to tell you, we will rule nothing out. So, very good morning, everybody. Let's be under no doubt here. No amount of monetary intervention is going to stop the pace of economic fallout if ultimately, as Steve was pointing out in his headlines, we are increasingly going into lockdown around Europe. But you know what? That money can do a job. It can prevent yields from blowing out. It can help stop companies going to the wall. It can help people stay in their jobs and it can also do a reasonable job of giving governments some space to fund their emergency medical programs. So the ECB then, with a major announcement, they've launched uh, an emergency asset program. US futures briefly rallied on the move, but they are now pointing lower. The ECB says it will buy an additional 750 billion euros in securities until the coronavirus crisis is judged to be over. The additional envelope, which comes after a fresh QE plan was announced last week means the ECB is set to buy more than a trillion euros in bonds over the next nine months. That is the fastest pace of purchases ever. Policymakers in Frankfurt also expanded the list of eligible assets to include non-financial commercial paper and they've eased collateral standards to help banks raise money against assets. Well, The ECB president, Christine Lagarde, has tweeted the action was needed to defend the euro, adding extraordinary times require 
extraordinary action. The French President Emmanuel Macron applauded the decision and urged European countries to also provide more fiscal relief to help combat the coronavirus crisis. Uh, let me take you to the extraordinary swings we saw again on the markets. We can now effectively uh, stop talking about the Trump bump, the gains that stock markets have enjoyed since President Trump took office. Since inauguration, the Dow now up only eight tenths of a percent. That's how much of a give back we've had. And if you look at all the benchmarks and there's a lot of investors talk about how much upside there's been in the, the U.S. markets in recent years, all that give back has taken place on this pandemic. So in session yesterday, another 1,000, 1,300 points being stripped off the Dow, 19,898. So there's not much relief. We were down about 10% in session in the early afternoon. There was some movement higher on the news that the U.S. Senate had passed that 100 billion U.S. dollar emergency package that included coronavirus testing, sick pay, other benefits for the crisis. But uh, of course, you've still seen a lot of nerves. There have been talk about temporary closure on stock markets. The Intercontinental Exchange was suggesting after the bell, the, the NYSE will temporarily close its trading floors and move to electronic trading beginning Monday. So trading will still happen in some form. But that uh, move, you can see investors very much concerned about disruptions. They're concerned about liquidity in the market, the economic downturn, the size of the fall we may see in the U.S. economy. And there have been new forecasts that have been issued by some of the banks. JP Morgan was saying the U.S. economy will shrink 14% in the next quarter. So that is quite stunning when you talk about the reversal of fortunes from what was one of the stronger quarters of the world. In terms of stocks moving, United Health again, a big drag on the likes of the Dow. And it was Microsoft for the other two, for the S&P and the NASDAQ. And let's put it in context so far for this week. The Dow has been down 14% so far. For the month, a whopping 21%. I want to take you to Treasuries because investors also are not unnerved by the moves in the Treasury market where you've seen a drop in bonds and a rise in yields. Now, typically, this is where investors stand B2 as a safe harbor in times like this. So you sort of get the opposite reaction. But that's not taking place. Those yields are marching north and there are some concerns about all the money that has been tapped to try and fight this crisis, what it could mean to debt levels. And as a result, you've seen moves higher in some of these yields one and a quarter percent now where we're trading on the 10-year. Don't forget we're about 0.6 the other a couple of sessions or a few sessions ago. So we're pretty much doubled from where we were. Extraordinary moves and what is such a, a safe haven play for a lot of investors. And let's push on to what we're seeing elsewhere. The dollar, a cash is king, dollar is king at this point. And we've now climbed to the 101.27 handle. It's been a monumental move back into some of these safe haven trades. As a result, there have been casualties elsewhere. Uh, despite all the stimulus as well, even on this side of the world from the ECB, euro has now dropped to 109.04. We didn't cut interest rates, but we did see that move lower in euro sterling. Take a look at those levels. The pound has fallen to its lowest level against the dollar since 19. 19- 85. Well, Brexit didn't do it. It seems as though coronavirus has done it in terms of knocking sterling off its perch. So extraordinary moves. Again, on this side of the world, the 350 billion pounds to be used to try and fight coronavirus. Investors are concerned about how we pay for that down the track. And sterling, as a result, has been hit. Now, the Australian dollar, this is also fascinating. Don't forget Australia got through the financial crisis with much higher interest rates. Today, it's had to move to the lowest level it's ever been, just a quarter of a percent. Quite a dramatic shift from where this uh, country was on its cash rate. 
also being ready to launch QE for the first time. So the measures coming into force, much like other markets uh, in terms of the tools used in a crisis, but Australia didn't necessarily go that far down that pathway because it had such a high cash rate in the financial crisis and could keep on cutting. Now from much lower levels, the cutting is less effective and you can see how uh, weak the Australian dollar is trading at uh, 0.56 at this point versus the US dollar. Let's take a look at those Asia markets. This is how it plays out. We've got a 3.4% slump again for the Australian market. Again, we keep testing lower levels. The Shanghai Composite's down 1.1%. The concern for the Chinese is now infections from coronavirus stemming from overseas as it tries to get a grip on its domestic problem. Hong Kong trades lower by 2.5. And we've got Japanese stocks still sliding down 1%. Again, we keep pushing for lower levels. Percentage drops are not much, but the market levels are if you consider how far we have dropped. The opening calls here in Europe, this is how we're setting up for the trading session. Again, we are chasing red. There's no relief. There's no green moving on to these boards at this point. The European markets yesterday fell about 3.9%. Much deeper falls though, if you look to the core markets, the FTSE was down 4%. And on the continent, for instance, in France, we were down almost 6%. So this would take us even lower to uh, the levels that where we finished yesterday triple digit point losses across the board in lockstep, Jeff. So all these measures from the central banks, they're not what investors are looking for at this point. They want a stabilization and infection rate. Uh, it'll help. Uh, but we'll get an expert to talk about that in just a second. Let me just tell our audience, uh, Steve uh, is joining us this morning. And I don't know, I know Steve is a little bit of a historian. So I wonder if he picked Trafalgar Square because, of course, Nelson's column is there, that famous battle against the French and the Spanish fleets. Oh, come on, let's do it. I know I'm not supposed Go to. On, I'm already in trouble with the producers. The great Lord Admiral Nelson, he can take us through it. He was great at Trafalgar. He was great at the Battle of, the, of Copenhagen. He was great elsewhere. Maybe we need another national hero, Jeff. There you go, to uplift our spirits. I don't know how he would fight against coronavirus, so well, that would be a different issue. I, well, there you go. I love the metaphor, the battle against coronavirus with Nelson uh, in the background. Freya Beamish is with us, Chief Asia Economist from Pantheon Macroeconomics. Uh, Freya, let me come to you first here. I know your focus is primarily on Asia, but if I could just ask you... Karen was raising the point about the value of a lot of this stimulus that we're seeing from central banks at this point. We've had uh, the ECB step up its game here with this announcement of uh, significant extra additional stimulus, 750 billion euros of uh, potential asset purchases and no time limit, which I think is also important. What difference is this going to make to bringing stability to markets giving corporates and governments the opportunity to remain liquid in their battle against this virus? Well, it's absolutely right that policymakers, both on the monetary policy side and on the fiscal side, um, should be doing all they really can um, at this stage. Because looking at the data from the Chinese side and, and China being kind of at the, at the forefront of this uh, real economy shock, it does look like um, the, the real economy shock is is. From China's side, it's just completely unprecedented. There's nothing in the Chinese data that looks anything like this. So if I look at the PMIs, the the activity data, industrial production, retail sales, and, and fixed asset investment, and the trade data that we're also starting to see from the likes of Japan, um, the the shock is is just absolutely huge. Um, so the trade data from Japan yesterday, uh, the supply side shock in terms of the drop in imports from from China. Uh, was huge. And, and the, the leading indicator suggests that the, the, the demand side, side shock um, is, is already uh, in the pipeline, is already happening uh, as we speak. So 
Um, for, for China, we're looking at we're looking at uh, GDP falling by six percent year over year, um, and that's I mean it's just completely. We're, we're normally thinking about will we be below six percent growth, and we're talking about zero point one percent changes from from quarter to quarter. We're now talking about GDP actually falling by as much as six percent um, year over year. Uh, and it's not now just China. Of course, this is now spread out to to the rest of the world. In the U.S., we're seeing evidence of a collapse in um, consumer discretionary uh, of capex, and actually, it looks like we could get a quarterly annualized um, reduction of about ten percent in, in Q2. Yeah. Freya, good morning to you from Trafalgar Square. Look, as far as I'm concerned, there was an old world where I used to bang on about debt and people used to say to me that wasn't the clear and present danger. And going back even further, in 1940, when, uh, 1941, when Allies were trying to defeat the Nazis, they didn't care about the stock market. They cared about their war effort, their armament effort, and getting the troops as quick as possible to defeat the Nazis as well. This isn't about stock markets anymore. It's not even about economic numbers anymore, I would suggest. This is about one that we have to defeat the coronavirus, whether it's a vaccine or all these draconian rules that are coming into society. And thereafter, we worry about the economy. And thereafter, a long way down the line, we worry about the stock market. I just wonder what your views are, because uh, people are saying, oh, it's not helping the stock market. It's not helping the stock market. Well, I'm afraid the US president and other people are just going to have to get over it. There are clear and present dangers. And the stock market is the least of central banks uh, and policymakers' worries at the moment. I don't know what your thoughts are. The, the thing is that the real economy shock and the, the response from policymakers is it is the is the financial system in in the whole economy the whole global economy is it set up to be able to deal with the response that's necessary for um, the the real economy shock that we're facing which is absolutely huge so we're now seeing the beginnings of worries that this real economy shock could turn into something much more serious which is a financial um, the kind of financial multiplier effect. So as governments are getting in there and saying, look, we just need to issue debt, which is the right response. Um, and, and central banks are saying, well, we need to pump a lot of money out there. The, the, the bond market is turning around and saying, oh, you want to issue a lot of, of debt, do you? Well, let's see what we do to, to yield. And we see that rise in yield. It's possible that that aspect of it is a slight overreaction because so much of this debt is effectively going to be monetized by printing a lot of money on on the central bank side. And in this context, it's quite deflationary. So the kind of the main worries of that turning into something that, that requires much higher yields is, um, is, 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 is mitigated. But the second aspect, which I find much more scary, is the global demand for, for dollar debt. Um, for dollars. And that's driven by um, the capital outflows that we're seeing from EMs. And that's driven by the underlying dollar debts that are present in the system. And I really hope we get a chance to talk about that, um, those potential for, for financial multipliers to turn this real economy shock into a much bigger problem, because Japan and China are really at the very epicenter of that, that problem. Absolutely. And it's uh, beholden on the American government and the Fed, of course, to offer up those swap agreements to many of those uh, emerging market economies 
that they haven't offered up the dollars to so far. Freya, we will come back to you. Just bear with us for a moment. We're just going to update our audience on some of the other stories that are doing the running here. And we'll put Steve on the back burner in Trafalgar Square for the moment as well. Credit Suisse has given us a trading update. So let's just tell you what Credit Suisse see at this point and what they have to say about the coronavirus. Credit Suisse says our return on tangible equity is above 10% for the first two months of the year. And our pre-tax income for the same period exceeds the 1.06 billion reported for the whole of the first quarter of 2019. We continue to benefit from the strengthening of our capital base, the group says. Uh, We are satisfied uh, with how our teams have navigated so far increased volatility, including in areas uh, such as shareback lending, of course, uh, collateralized lending. In our wealth management business overall, private banking revenues so far this quarter are up compared to the same period last year, benefiting from higher transaction revenues. Uh, Notwithstanding the pandemic and volatile market environment, the profitability in Q1 2020 has so far continued uh, the strong year-on-year improvement trend, as already noted in Q4 2019 earnings. And a line on the uh, impact specifically impact of the pandemic on our financial results going forward remains difficult to assess at this stage we continue to monitor our credit exposure prudently in light of these conditions of course it's all been uh, change at the helm of credit swiss the uh, uh, the, the the new man in at the job, uh, Thomas Gottlieb, um, having to manage uh, the new environment in which these banks are now having to operate. We've finally got something bigger than a spy scandal to talk about in Swiss yes, banking, right? Uh, yes, we do. But it's just extraordinary, too, if you think about the dynamics of play. At the start of this year, markets just kept on going up, and I think a lot of investors had their money committed. So, of course, now you've had a dramatic change of events. Investors have had to pick up the phone to their bankers and say, let's change the positioning. So when they talk about the volatility and the trading that's taking place, of course, there's been a lot of in and out of positions that's occurring. I think some people also try to put money to work. But you've got to wonder whether, as we wash up at the end of 2020, whether there will be a downside on that sales and trading environment because of what we've seen at the start of the year, because clearly a lot of people have also lost money. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, Karen, I think, as we all know, that, um, you know, you can vent about the short selling suspensions that have been Im- implemented by a number of these. But it's a relatively small part of the market. So those who actually benefit from these declines in indices, relatively small. Hedge funds and hedge fund clients. And they had to be positioned for that. Probably 90% of the market is long Mm. most of the time, which means that you know there will have been quite a lot of pain here. Um, We will have to see whether in in reality across the course of the year as a whole, the banks actually benefit from that. I find it hard to believe they will. I agree, because where's the money gone to? It's evaporated effectively. Uh, We've got to take a break. Coming up on the programme, the Bank of Japan puts another trillion yen on the stimulus table. We find out how much that will help when we come back. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. 
President Trump has signed an emergency bill into law that aims to help Americans deal with the fallout from the coronavirus outbreak. The legislation provides billions of dollars to citizens on unpaid sick leave and also ensures that tests for the virus remain free. The Trump administration is also urging Congress to back a separate stimulus package worth more than a trillion dollars that would include direct payments to Americans. Pershing Square CEO Blackman has called on President Trump to go further and shut down the U.S. for 30 days to contain the spread of coronavirus. He made the impassioned plea in an interview with CNBC, warning that, quote, hell is coming if leaders don't take more drastic measures. If we continue the way we are operating is until a vaccine is manufactured, distributed and injected, we will go through a depression era period in the country and millions of people will die around the globe, and as many as a million Americans are going to die. Uh, and it's just math. Bill Ackman there on CNBC. The UK government has announced that schools will shut down on Friday as it steps up efforts to fight the spread of the virus. It follows similar measures taken by a host of other nations in recent days. The UK has been criticised for acting too slowly in response to the pandemic. The death toll in the country has topped 100, while just over 2,600 cases have now been reported. We've seen a very dramatic retreat in the currency. Uh, we're back to levels not seen since the 1980s and some of the economic chaos around that period as uh, investors internationally have chosen to opt for the dollar over the pound sterling. Uh, but it doesn't hold back the Dunkirk spirit. Let's get out to Steve, who is in Trafalgar Square. So, Steve, um, let's just talk about what comes next here in the UK. The schools are going to close on Friday, but there's been a lot of rumour about a lockdown for the British capital. Yes, a lot of rumours that was flying around yesterday. And there were some terribly scurrilous rumours on Twitter and social media. So they had all kinds of things as well. You've really got to be careful what you read and where your echo chamber is on this as well. Let me tell you what's happened. Let me tell you what we think is going to happen next as well. So, as you said, uh, the number of cases in the UK, 2,626. That is up from 1,950 uh, on Tuesday as well. Tragically, 104 people in the uh, UK have lost their lives. And as you quite rightly say, Jeff, a large amount of those are in the capital. So the capital is the epicentre of a lot of discussions. Around about a third of confirmed cases in the capital as well. Schools are closing from Friday. Exams are being cancelled. The government is doubling the number of tests to 25,000 per day. People should stay at home, even with the mildest of symptoms now. Her Majesty the Queen, who is literally watching CNBC now from Buckingham Palace, a mile up the road, up the mouth. She will now be moving from Buckingham Palace uh, to Windsor Castle, which hopefully is a safe retreat for her and her court as well. UK supermarkets, much stricter limits on what you can purchase. I call that rationing. If we're going back to the 80s, let's go back the whole hog. Let's go back to the late 40s when some rationing finally came off after the Second World War. The tube network will be limited. Saturday and Sunday service, possibly a lot of stations that are not interconnecting, will be shut as well, according to the London Mayor in recent times. The army, soldiers will be preparing to drive oxygen tanks to uh, supply hospitals. 20,000 military are uh, on standby. By the way, a shout out to them. They're doing a fantastic job. They're called the COVID Support Force as well. Uh, Glastonbury Council, Eurovision Council, but clearly... The measures are going to get a lot more serious and emergency legislation is going through the House this week. First of all, before I tell you about that, let's listen to the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. The more closely and the more strictly, the more ruthlessly we can enforce upon ourselves, our families, 
the advice that we're getting about avoiding unnecessary gatherings, about uh, staying at home when we have symptoms, all that advice, which is good advice, then the better we will be able to protect our NHS, the fewer deaths we will have, and the less suffering there will be in the UK population. And the faster we will get through this, we do not rule out taking further and faster measures uh, in due course. Do you remember the old days? Remember the withdrawal agreement bills? Do you remember the, the, the consternation and congestion in Parliament? Well, forget about that. Jeremy Corbyn and the opposition, on a nod, will pass this emergency legislation. They'll let the government bring in extraordinary draconian rules, emergency laws, which will include the power to close airports, the power for the police to detain and quarantine people. It will cover the National Health Service, social, schools, care, border force, councils, even the way that funerals are conducted as well. The power to ban and restrict events uh, and gatherings as well. Now, there is a time limit on this. We understand it will be limited to two years. Uh, some measures can come into force. Others can be switched on and off uh, depending on how long they are needed for as well. But all the consternation we've saw over the last couple of years, over Brexit, and of course, I'm showing you now uh, a shot which leads right down to Westminster, Big Ben in Scaffold and Downing Street, about halfway down that view on the right-hand side as well. The government enacting emergency powers, we understand, as early as this week. Back to you. Steve, thank you very much. Well, speaking of emergency measures, uh, the RBA in Australia has cut rates to a record low and launched its first ever quantitative easing program. The Australian Central Bank set a target for the yield on its three-year sovereign bond of around 0.25%, saying it would start purchasing government bonds in the secondary market tomorrow. The move is Australia's second rate cut in a month. The BOJ has launched a 1 trillion yen JGB purchase plan in another unscheduled market operation. That's after the country reported a slowdown in inflation, with core CPI rising just 0.6% in February amid the coronavirus outbreak. Let's get out to Freya again, staying with us from Pantheon Macroeconomics. Uh, Freya, I want to ask you about this lower starting point, because, I mean, Australia is a good example. It was about 7.25%, the level of interest rates going into the financial crisis. Much, much lower levels now as it's perched just below zero. Same with the ECB, where it's already been in negative territory, reluctant to go further negative. What do you make of what we're seeing this time in terms of crisis fighting? Can we say, when it comes to the ECB at least, we are at the bottom of the rung when it comes to interest rates? I think with the ECB and particularly with the Bank of Japan, um, the problem is that that there's, there's not very far that they can go in terms of interest rates. But also, because they've had monetary policy accommodation for so long, we have to now worry about what has been the, the, the build-up of imbalances and kind of financial fragilities that are bubbling under the surface because of that long-term uh, monetary policy accommodation. So it's not just that they don't have anywhere to go to stimulate the real economy. It's that the result of their long-term accommodation could have, have stored up some problems that could be released during as a result of this real economy shock. So in particular, if I take the Bank of Japan as an example, because it does seem to be at the forefront of this whole monetary policy experiment, their, their long-term policy accommodation seems to have, have generated, um, well, has generated a lot of, of outflows. Um, and, and, and rather than take on the kind of the currency mismatch that, that goes with that, uh, Japanese financial institutions have taken on a maturity mismatch instead. And now when we have this massive rise in, in dollar demand and, and the, 
the market's kind of kicking off because of the, the rise in issuance. We're seeing a rise in long-term yields, and that exposes that maturity mismatch that's been kind of bulging underneath the surface. And that's quite reminiscent of the way in which, say, European banks were behaving before the financial crisis um, so or in the financial crisis. And that's the type of monetary uh, of, of financial accelerator that we all need to be kind of worried about at this stage. Now, having been through that financial crisis, um, policymakers are more aware of this need for dollar, uh, dollar uh, liquidity on, on a global level. So they are responding at this stage and the underlying assets that um, Japanese right. institutions and others are holding is better than in the subprime crisis. Right. So there is some good news out there. <laughs> right, yeah, we've all been here before when we saw the financial crisis happen. There was panic and you had this emergency response from, from Treasury, from the Federal Reserve and other central banks globally, as well as finance ministers. Then the griping started after that. You saw the, the dust start to settle just a little bit. Then investors uh, and many across countries were saying, was this the right move? Was there any other alternative? And it does feel like this might be very similar down the track where now you've got central banks and governments talking about bailouts of companies and effectively central banks underwriting some of the debt of the corporates. Is this the wrong move when we consider how much more debt countries will take on and the message it sends to those corporates who've been embarking upon share buybacks, who've been paying out dividends, who've not been putting money into reserve? Is this the wrong message to be sending right now? When you're actually in the eye of the storm, um, my kind of humble opinion is that all you can do is try to support um, firms and, and prevent this real economy uh, hit from turning into a, into a credit crunch, um, which would really prolong and, and make this much a much more serious uh, impact if we start to see people losing their jobs and, and firms not having access to credit, then this whole thing turns into something much worse. Um, the, the time to, to worry about this would have been um, passed already. Um, and perhaps the lesson we can learn maybe the second time around is how you deal with those structural imbalances uh, when, when you're in the good times. Um, but by the time you get to, to the bad times, which we, let's face it, is, is now, um, all policymakers can do is provide that liquidity um, and provide that support uh, and try to be as on the ball as possible with, with where the, 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 the fragilities on the financial side are, are lying. Um, now, that's not an, an easy thing to do. The biggest kind of known unknown is the exposure of uh, financial institutions globally to um, to Chinese debt, because that is where the kind of the biggest right. um, underlying imbalances are. Right. Freya, thank you very much. Freya Beamish with us, Chief Asia Economist, Pantheon, Macroeconomics. And Jeff, you think about the, the couple of words that you've uttered for the last 10 years. Moral hazard. Yes. Uh, once we get through this, clearly we're going to be talking about moral hazard again, but from the corporate perspective, right? Yes. Not just the banks, which we were talking about on the back of the financial crisis. Yes. And we've actually seen something like this happen in Japan. And the question is, as we continue to put, and, and Freya might be right, this might be the appropriate response, but all of this debt will find its way onto the public or the um, central bank balance sheets. The question is then, do we continue down a road of uh, Jap Japanification, that road that many thought we might be heading down anyway, given the way that we responded to the financial crisis of 2008? Right, and we think about those US banks too that were paying back loans and were not able to pay out dividends for many, many years. And then they had to go back to the central bank and they had to go back to regulators and say, is it okay if we now pay out those dividends? Could we end up in a situation like that with corporates 
if they've received enough support. The same corporates that have been paying out decent dividends, decent income, and also embarking upon share, shareholder buyback schemes. Will all that start to stop on the back of this one crisis? Uh, it may. Right. We Maybe will have days, to wait but... and watch. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.